Welcome to the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. We put out weekly messages to build our faith and knowledge in the Lord. For more messages, please subscribe. Or for prayer and support, please email us at connect at perryhallfamily.life. I came here today to propose a question. And I don't want to just throw out hypotheticals. I don't want to create pointless conversations and make ourselves feel better. I really want to wrestle with this question as a church. Question is simple, but the answer could be painful. See, and I don't just want to deal with it as a church, as part of the church at large. I want to deal with it as Perry Hall Family Worship Center. We're part of God's kingdom. We're connected to thousands of churches across the world as the Christian faith. But we are also this community. We are responsible for how we treat people who walk into these walls and call this church home. Amen? So here's the question. How lost is too lost? (laughs) How lost is too lost? Now, let me be crystal clear. I'm not talking about for Jesus. There's no such thing. There's no sin his blood can't cover. There's no one he can't save. There's no one outside of his reach. What I mean, and why this is important to us, how lost is too lost for Perry Hall Family Worship Center? How broken is too broken? How sinful is too sinful? And you say, oh, there's, there's no way. That, that's not a thing that doesn't exist here. Listen, most churches love to say, come as you are. All are welcome. We exist to reach the lost. And they're all great beautiful, wonderful catchphrases. They sound great, but if you'll stick with me for just a minute, I want to talk about why they can often be dangerous. I really believe that. I believe they can be dangerous. Um, see, before you riot, just just work with me here. Does anybody know? Anybody got a guess? I won't do that to you. Here's why those statements can be dangerous. Because often, we don't mean them. We say, come as you are. We say, bring your sin, bring your brokenness, bring your baggage, but we don't really mean it. See, we get comfortable in our group. We get comfortable within these four walls. We become one big click. And when people come in and they're different than us, it can cause some issues. Now, come as you are, all are welcome. See, we say these things over and over. We print them on our promotional material. We put them on our websites but we fall short of living with them. And I think it's because how quickly we forget just how far from perfect we are. Amen? I mean, Pastor Don would be the first to tell you there's not a human in this room that isn't dealing with some level of a sin problem or brokenness or baggage. Every one of us comes loaded with it. We want to talk about how many souls we're reaching. We want more people in the building, but we don't want to deal with their baggage. Are you with me so far? We want to claim the good stuff and want to sweep the, the bad stuff under the rug, which is a, it's a normal problem. It's the world we live in. And I really think a lot of it is getting worse due to just, just the way things work in social media, right? We treat our church like Snapchat. We want to filter everything, all right? We want to show you the good, hide the bad. We control the narrative. It's a virtual reality. The issue is church is not a virtual reality, This is real. Lives are on the line. Eternities are on the line. People's lives matter here. We cannot and we should not try to hide our own brokenness and baggage from our creator. Amen? The same token, we cannot and we should not exile people for having different or more baggage than us. Or here's the truth. A lot of times they have the same sin, the same baggage, the same struggles. Only difference is theirs is out in the open. And ours is hidden. 
They may have the same addiction as me. They may have the same downfall as me, the same sin that calls their name, but nobody heard it from me, but they know that person. Oh, they came in, they're, they're an addict, they're this, they're that. It's out in the open. So they're easy to judge. They're the easy target, amen? See, people have issues. Deep, dark, messy, painful, shameful, embarrassing issues. The trick is, Jesus loves people. I mean, isn't that the purpose? It sounds simple. We make it complicated. We love to complicate that. God so loved the world. That's everybody, right? That's every last one of us in these four walls. That's everyone listening online. God loves the world. That's the point of all of this. But why are we so quick to write off, shun, condemn, and ultimately abandon people to make us feel the slightest bit uncomfortable? I want to look at probably the most quoted, most memorized, uh, most seen script verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16. In a second, we're going to read it together. But I really want to add, I sat and talked with Pastor Dom about this. We felt it was really vital to add in verse 17. You hear through John 3.16 a lot. You don't hear 3.17 added, but they really, they really, really go hand in hand. So let's start at the beginning. Let's read out loud together. I know it's uncomfortable, but hey, you're listening to a worship leader preach, so you'll be okay. All right, here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, let's read 17 together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Think about that statement. God doesn't want to condemn anyone. That's not his goal. That's not his purpose. That's not what gets him excited in the morning. Will God condemn sin and unrepentant hearts? Yes. Doesn't want to. That wasn't the point of sending his son to die on the cross. God doesn't love passively. He loves with an active love. Sending Jesus to offer a way out, to offer restoration was an active love. If you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you a few different things that you can take away from this. Uh, this is the first one. If we're going to love the world like Jesus did, if we're going to love people like Jesus did, uh, and we're not going to like these, trust me, I had to write this and I didn't like these. We have to love people we disagree with. You have to love people you disagree with. And, and I'll explain that a little further. See, I believe that the enemy of purpose is preference. The enemy of purpose is preference, individually and as a church. If you let the style of worship bother you, if you let the color of the carpet bother you, if you let the temperature of the room bother you, you're missing the point of today. We are here to meet with our creator. We are here to come together and minister to the world around us and each other. There have been churches, the, the old joke is that, you know, the, the church split over the color of the carpet. It's only a joke because it came out of reality. Churches have split over less. Some churches can't agree on the lighting. They can't agree on whether or not they should have smoke. I mean, these are things that tear churches apart. They destroy purpose. But those are small things that we get wrong. What about the big things that we disagree with? Can we love someone of a different faith? Can we love the atheists? I believe we're supposed to. I believe we're commanded to. Does that mean that we have to agree with the way they think? 
Not at all. But no one was ever saved from a picket sign. They were saved through the kindness of God poured out through his people. Scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You got to love people you disagree with from the small things to the biggest things there are to their faith and your faith. You don't have to agree. You don't have to approve, but you got to love them. See, we want to claim accountability. Well, they're in our church. We're holding them accountable. Are they a believer? Because here's the crazy thing about accountability. It only works between believers. Someone comes in here and they don't know the Lord. They haven't started that relationship. And you try to hold them to our standards. You try to hold them to the way that we live and the way that we speak. It doesn't add up. It works between believers. And even within believers, it needs to be a mutually agreed upon relationship. Have you ever tried to hold someone accountable who didn't want it? How does that go? And I think it's actually called nagging. I'm not really sure. I don't think it's actually accountability. You need to be invested in each other. It's a two-way street. Pastor Dom, yes, he's my boss. He's also my friend. He's also my spiritual leader. And he is a person who I know cares about me. He wants me to thrive. He wants me to grow in Jesus. He wants me to be closer to him than I was yesterday. That instantly gives him the right to sit me down and tell me when he sees something that's wrong in my life. And I would offer this. He only does that out of love and not to tear me down and condemn. And that is how accountability functions within the church. Here's an old saying. I I bet most of you have heard it, and I want to see if you can complete it for me. Um, Love the sinner. (laughs) Let's do it again. Ready? Love the sinner. Love the sinner. Some said hate the sin. Some said not the sin. I always heard it as love the sinner, hate the sin. I want to just offer this crazy idea What if we took hate out of that statement? Now, before you run me out, let's talk through this. What if we just said, love the sinner? See, here's the thing. Hate is easy. Hate comes natural. I don't have to learn to hate something that I don't like or something I don't agree with. I got to work at genuinely loving someone I disagree with. I got to genuinely put the effort in. And hate is free and love costs everything. So I just want to stop at love the sinner. Again, I'm not putting a stamp of approval on the way they live their life or the choices they make. But I'm going to leave the judging and the condemning to God. I think he is somewhat more qualified than me. And in fact, I want to jump into uh, Matthew 22. We're going to start in verse 34. But I'm going to give you the quick backstory. So the, uh, the religious leaders... They're playing a game called Stump Jesus, or they're trying to make Jesus look like a fool. And spoiler alert, that never works out in your favor. And so they're trying to basically trip him up and ask him trick questions here. And uh, the Sadducees came up with this story. You know, the law says that a brother is supposed to care for his brother's widow. So when the brothers die, so I think they said there's nine brothers, right? And the one dies, and the next one marries her. And that one dies, and the next one marries her. They build this whole crazy elaborate story because they think there's no way Jesus can talk his way out of this. And their question to him is, when they get to heaven, who is her husband? And Jesus, being Jesus, just blows it all out of the water. He's like, no one. You think we're worried about marriage in heaven? That's an earthly concept. We're done with that here. So he literally shuts up 
the Sadducees and just leaves them completely feeling like fools. So we're going to pick up in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, they're already scheming just in this one verse. Like, they watch this happen, and they're literally plotting. Um, They're so full of themselves that they think they can do better. Okay, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, again... Before we go on, they're trying to trick him. They are experts in the law. There is over 600 Mosaic laws. They have devoted their entire life to learning them, memorizing them, living by them. To them, there is no greatest commandment. They're all equal. They all matter. And they think that Jesus is going to say something like that. And they think he's going to take a minute maybe and think it over. He doesn't do that. I love in verse 37, with no hesitation, just says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And here's the crazy part. When you're trying to stump Jesus, when you're trying to make him look like a fool, and then he just goes above and beyond and further than you ever expected, he offers him a second commandment. It's like bonus information. He's like, you didn't ask, but um, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. First of all, and this is just a personal, don't you love know-it-alls? Uh, can, can you think of one in your life? If they're here, don't point. That's going to be a super awkward car ride home, and I don't want to be responsible for that argument. <laughs> but you can think of them, right? Like, it's just so frustrating, and that's what Jesus is dealing with here. And, and his answer is so poignant to me, and I love that he throws in this second commandment, and I just want to read what he said Love your neighbor as yourself. End of end of commandment. He's done there, right? He didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself, but hate their sin. He didn't add it. Why do we? Are we qualified to amend the words of Jesus? I certainly am not. We don't need to bring hate into it. And if all the law and the prophets hang on these two, shouldn't we be focused day in and day out on these two things? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And if you love people, it creates action. It makes it, turns it into an act of love. You don't just love them at a distance. You don't just love them passively. So we got to love people we disagree with. Now this, this next one is where it starts to get really tricky. And I don't like this point. Um, but God gave it to me, so I'm going to say it. Because this one's hard for everyone in this room, I guarantee you. We got So we said we got to love people we disagree with. Here's where it gets crazy. You got to love people you distrust. You got to love people you distrust. People who have failed you. People who have wronged you on purpose. People who have hurt you. People whose intentions you know to be poor. We still got to love them. And do you know how I know? Because Jesus did. There is one person in the Bible who I've lost sleep over more than anyone else. There's one person that drives me crazy, and I'm obsessed with reading through them and trying to understand them, and that person is Judas. We all know him as the guy who betrayed Jesus uh, the night of the crucifixion for a little silver, kissed him, and, and literally handed him over to the authorities to be murdered, knowing what he was doing. That part is not what keeps me up. It's the part where Jesus went and recruited him and spent about three years of ministry living homeless with Judas, sleeping in the dirt, sharing meals together, 
providing for him, leading and guiding him all the time, knowing who he was and what he would do. If we believe Jesus is all-knowing, if we believe he's 100% God and 100% man, then he had to know where Jesus was going with this thing, right? Not only did he allow him one of the spots in the precious 12 spots to make up the disciples, he went and found him. He brought him in. Keeps me up at night, guys. Do we think for one second that Jesus trusted Judas? No. He knew the entire time who he was what he would do. And he had hope for him the entire time. These things break my brain. These are things about my Jesus I can't understand. You got to love people you distrust. What would happen if you loved your Judas? You've got someone in mind right now. Again, please don't point. <laughs> please. But you have someone in mind. Someone you know you can't trust. Someone you struggle to love. I would love to tell you that God said that's okay and you can let them go and you can just forget about it and you don't have to love that person. But you do. What would happen if you loved your Judas? Now, I want to be very clear here. Healthy boundaries are good. They're very good. I'm not standing, don't go home and say, Pastor Josh said I have to let my abuser back into my life or I have to uh, let this person who enables me back into my life. You don't have to give them the keys to your innermost being. You don't have to let them shape your daily decisions. Amen? You with me? Healthy boundaries are good. They don't have to run your life. Here's what you have to do. It's simple. Five things. You can write them down or you can memorize them. The people you don't agree with, the people you don't trust, you got to love them. You cannot hate them. Hear that. You cannot hate them. You must forgive them. You must forgive them. You should pray for them. And if you can do it within your safe boundaries, within your healthy boundaries, you might as well encourage them. Love them. Don't hate them must forgive, should pray for, and why not encourage? You got to love people you distrust. My third point today, um, and again, this one is, it's not my favorite, but it's real and it's here. You got to love people you just dislike. <laughs> people you just, they rub you the wrong way. You just don't get along. It's not a trust issue. It's not a philosophy issue. You just don't like them. Again, Jesus did it. I believe he did it. When I read about Peter, Peter was a lot of things. He was a passionate defender of Jesus. He was a devoted disciple. He was also a loudmouth. He was also violent. He was also prone to outbursts. Had a lot of trouble controlling his, his words. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point. <laughs> Jesus, on the other hand, was calm, collected, focused, Quiet until he had to not be. They were opposite personalities. These are not two guys outside of who Jesus is and what his purpose was. These are not two guys who had set up a carpool together. It's not happening. Peter is the same guy who Jesus, he said two different things that are wildly conflicting. At one time he told him, you're the rock on which I will build my church. And another time he said, get behind me, Satan. They didn't get along well, guys. <laughs> But Jesus loved Peter, genuinely, fully. 
Absolutely. He loved people he disagreed with. He loved people he did not trust. He loved people he disliked. What about those people in your life? Now, I've, I've joked about not pointing, and maybe they are in this room. I don't know. Um, but I believe 100% of me believes everyone in this room has a Judas. Everyone has a Peter. Everyone's got someone we disagree with. Look around for two seconds. Just look around. I'm going I'm to give you permission to ignore me. Look around at this church. From one side to the other, we are wildly different. Wildly different. And I thank God for that. That is a feather in the cap of what God is doing right here at Perry Hall Family Worship Center. We are unique. It's not a group of all the same people. If that's not proof of the love of God, I don't know what is. Amen? That said, every one of us, myself included, have people in our lives that we're not loving well. Maybe we have people that we need to build better healthy boundaries with, but we're not loving them as Jesus loved. We're not forgiving them. We're holding on to bitterness. If Think about your Judas for one second. If God got a hold of their life, turned everything around, and started using them in ministry and started blessing them left and right, would you be bitter or would you feel better? Would you be happy that God had worked in their life? Or would you say, be saying, why them, God? Why would you help them after everything they've done? Got to love people we disagree with. Got to love people we distrust. Got to love people we dislike. I, I want to give us enough time for uh, what I believe we're supposed to do today. So I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come on back up and... I'm challenging all of us, myself included. <laughs> all right, if you can think of one person you're not loving well in your life, let's, I'm gonna ra let's raise our hands. If you, if you got one, if there's one, I got mine. So here's my challenge today. In a minute, in a few minutes, we're going to sing, and our prayer team will come down. I, <laughs> I don't want to just walk away from this moment. I believe God's speaking to me, so I'll, be, I'll make you a deal. I'll be the first one down here at the altar. What I want to do is I want you to make a list, either write it down or mentally, I don't care, of the person or people who you know you could love better. The people that you haven't forgiven, the people that you're holding bitterness and a grudge against. And I would challenge you to come down here and either pray with our team or just kneel for a minute at the altar and ask God to help you love them, not hate them, absolutely forgive them, continue to pray for them, and encourage him, encourage them. I really believe God wants to work in this church today. I believe he has business with us, and I don't think he spoke to me and gave me this message just for me, but if he did, I'm happy he did because it's been shaking me up. Go ahead and stand with me. I, I need you to know no one's going to judge you if you don't come to the altar. That's not what's happening at all. And you may need to just sit and kneel in your seat and pray the same prayer. And that's okay too. But I would like you to at least 
challenge yourself to pray and ask God to give you the strength, the faith, the courage to let go of the past and to love people better. I mean, that, that wraps up everything we're here for. God so loved the world. That's our job. That's the point of all this. So I'll say this. I'm going to ask the worship team after I pray. They're going to play the whole song to give us time as a church to respond. And the altar's open. That's the best I can tell you. Sometimes we just need to respond in a physical manner. Sometimes we need to, to get out of our seat and walk down. But they'll play the whole song to give you time. And when they're done, we can gather out in the hall. And I'd love to hang out and hear some of your stories. Um, I'd love to learn about all the things I said wrong today. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I want to pray. And then I just encourage you, let God speak to you right now. Let's forget the people next to us. Let's be ready to respond to the Spirit. Jesus, we can never be you. We can never be on your level. We can never see the world exactly through your eyes. But our exact mission is to chase after that. You have called us to be different. You have called us to love the world. And I pray today that all across this room, that within those healthy boundaries, that you would speak to us and teach each one of us individually what it means to love those we see as unlovable, to let go of our preferences, to let go of bitterness and to forgive. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. We hope today's message spoke to you. And if so, please subscribe. Here at our church, we want to see souls saved, lives changed, and families restored by experiencing God through Jesus Christ. To learn more, head over to our website at perryhall.life.